Coming soon to a theater near you, it's The Equalizers, a weekly podcast where two idiots drop a cinema sibling in the lap of a perfectly content solo film. My name is Mike Knoll, and I am joined, as always, by the sequel to my prequel, the horrific egg person, Madison Jones. Madison Jones, are you in good form? I mean, after you call me a horrific egg person, I don't know if that's good. People are going to think I'm in a good form. I mean, you were a ghost and then somehow, which we never delved into, congealed into some kind of like monstrous togepi from Pokemon. I imagine myself more of like an ectoplasm. I don't know what my next state will be. Maybe you should like shove me in a jello mold. You could turn me into a giant Sour Patch Kid or something. (laughs) Oh, God. I honestly prefer the creepy giant togepi. Well, now that our traditional hilarious opening banter is complete, uh, shall we introduce our guest? No, let's talk about what other food you could make me into. Okay. Um, (laughs) Falafel. Oh, falafel. No, if if we haven't introduced the guest, we we can't take their suggestions. No, I was introducing myself. Oh, yes, of course, our guest this week is falafel. That delicious shawarma food. Shawarma and falafel are two different foods. I thought that falafel was in shawarma. You could get it with or in. You can get you can get with shawarma. Yeah. Falafel is chickpeas. Then yeah, that's next you're gonna just turn into a big pile of chickpeas. I'd prefer that. Alright. Uh joining us for their pitch for the sequel to the Moulin Rouge is Brittany Means, friend of the show and sparkling diamond. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm here. I'm so I'm really excited to talk about which Marvel characters are the most dateable. Yeah, oh, different. Yeah. yeah, different podcast. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, this is this is the movie one, Brittany. Okay, okay. So I'm. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about Disney brackets. Yeah, <laughs> Brittany, you guys can't see this, but Brittany has just very sadly slid a folder titled "Captain America Erotica" just back onto the <laughs> shelf. He does okay. weird stuff with the shield. <laughs> <laughs> Like, what you're so thinking right excited. now, what he's doing with the shield, he's doing weirder stuff with the shield than that. All right, then should I start reading my chapter of Animorphs, then? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Just, what's first of all, real, what's that one called? And then give us just the first the first couple lines. Uh, this one's called Thermal, and it's just like four chapters of Applegate describing what a thermal is, again. So, Brittany, you chose Moulin Rouge. Well, first you picked Cats and Dogs, but that does have sequels. So what about Moulin Rouge made it a perfect uh, backup option? Well, I I wanted to do Cats and Dogs because I used to have a dog. And when we we had ferrets, we had to put her in the back room so she wouldn't eat the ferrets while they were out. And my foster mom would always play Cats and Dogs for her. (laughs) And whenever I tried to put in, like... That Will Smith Wild West movie or something else, she would be like, no, Cats and Dogs is her favorite movie. Oh, man. So that Why was really you... the only reason I wanted to do that one. But I just like Moulin Rouge. Did you try Homeward Bound? Um, actually, yeah. But she would go in and change it. So that was oh, okay. a weird power struggle. Man, I would have <laughs> loved your take on a Wild Wild West sequel. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to the pitch you're here to do, and I'm already scheduling for the next your next yeah. one. <laughs> I I've just loved Moulin Rouge for years. I accidentally mm-hmm. watched it one time at a family gathering while it was on in the background, and I well, my family's Pentecostal, so we weren't allowed to watch TV. So I 
watched like five minutes of this movie and became obsessed with those five minutes because it was the like Roxanne scene. Oh, oh yeah. of course. Uh, and then I, I couldn't watch it again for like four years. And then I happened upon it. I didn't even know what the movie was called. I just knew that there was this really cool like musical sequence mm-hmm. with this song. And I was like, what a cool song. I didn't even realize because I was like a dumb kid that it was like an actual song. Um, so when I found it later as a teenager and watched it and I got to that scene, I had this like weird moment of like, it all came together. <laughs> so that was my very long answer for why I love Moulin Rouge. Uh, I personally, anytime I watch Moulin Rouge, it reminds me of you actually. Cause I think one time, <laughs> at, one time in college or maybe after college, we watched it at some point and we both mm-hmm. talked about uh, Harry Zidler saying strawberry really loud. I was hoping you would bring that up yeah. <laughs> because every time I see you posting anywhere, the first thing that happens in my head is like, strawberry! Strawberry! <laughs> I thought it was because Brittany just has tuberculosis. That's why you... Uh, uh, <laughs> Aw. Uh, I just have asthma, Mike. The red asthma. My, <laughs> my new um, 8 to 11 children's superhero. Red asthma? The red asthma. God. That sounds, that sounds like some sort of like supervillain that teaches kids with asthma like to use their inhalers or something like mm-hmm. like a, some sort of like public service announcement or something so madison you obviously if i feel like you like this movie as well yeah it's probably the first movie i saw you and mcgregor in mm-hmm. not that that's very unique or anything it's just <laughs> i've always had like a like of musicals and this is one of my favorites it's very fantastical i always think about this movie as being super happy and super upbeat for the first like half and then like as soon as that second half starts it's like bummer city <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's super sad because after the the farce like in the room where they're like doing the uh pitch of the play to the mm-hmm. duke every everything after that besides the scene where uh, christian and satine are like talking uh, is super bummer it's like oh tuberculosis oh um <laughs> Uh, them having to hide their relationship. Oh, Satine having to pretend that she doesn't love Christian. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, Bernie, you don't have to do a summary of the movie anymore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I, I saw this in high school. A bunch of us got together to watch a movie, and a number of the people wanted to watch this movie, and I'd never seen it before, so I thought, like, yeah, whatever. And being 15 and an idiot, I was like, this movie is taking forever. Like, I hated it when I first saw it. And I watched it again in, like, college. And I, I appreciated it more and I enjoyed it more. But to begin with, I really was not a fan. It just... I didn't get it, I think. And it was... I don't know. But I like it now. I really like it. I Like Britney, it's a thing where I don't watch it as much. Like, I watch it and I love it and it makes me very sad. And then I don't watch it for, like, five straight years Yeah. to recover. <laughs> I could just watch the far scene over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Jim Broadbent's uh, "Like a Virgin" cover. I this I was watching it the other night, and I was like crying. I was laughing so hard. Like, yeah, if it's maybe because I, as an adult, know who Jim Broadbent is and have seen him in many things, and get that like he is a hugely respected actor in England. So to watch him in this like silly like red mustache and top hat and like small waistcoat and like wrapped in a sheet chasing this guy around the room, <laughs> like yeah. singing the lyrics to "Like a Virgin." Uh, well, it may not surprise you to know that there are people who did not care for this movie. Uh, that's what? right, gang. It's time, once again, 
for Daddy's Tomatoes. <laughs> I scoured Rotten Tomatoes this week, and I found three reviews that I am moderately happy with. I think there's some good some good vibes for us to, to jive on. Jive and vibes. Yeah. <laughs> Are we about to get down on these jive and vibes? Take it, to, take it to Funky Town? Yeah, we're going to ride these jiving vibes all the way to Funky Town. Got it. <laughs> uh, this first one is from Crisco H, who gave the movie two stars. Good movie, but when Ewan's greasy hair detracts from even the most heart-wrenching scenes <laughs> in the movie, maybe it's time to put that bucket of olive oil away. Oh, God. End of review. His hair is pretty slick, it looks like. In the, it's very shiny. Uh, this next review comes from Erica S., who... I didn't get the star rating off of this one. I apologize. Um, They say, amazing. You feel every single emotion possible watching it. And right after it's over, you just want to watch it again. So I thought we could go around and just kind of talk about what every single emotion Mm -hmm. is. I'll start with happiness. Constipation. Extreme constipation. (laughs) Disastrous constipation. Earth-shattering constipation. Bulbous (laughs) constipation. And death. Via constipation. Ennui. Constipated ennui. <laughs> oh, we still going? Uh, yeah, I don't know. We can. <laughs> oh, we're um, just playing in the space. But tingling oh. a constipation. All right. So the next review is from Patty C, who rated this movie as not interested. You just know when your butt tingles when you're so constipated. That's that's the feeling that I. Would yeah, say. I mean everybody knows it's one of the possible emotions anyone can feel. Like just when your anus quivers. Okay. I believe that's one of the four humors. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, Patty C rated this movie not interested and said, "Twas as boring as batshit." I turned it off after <laughs> twenty minutes. Guano. I guess. I mean, they say batshit, but I mean. Obviously, a less intelligent uh, movie reviewer. Someone's never seen Ace Venture or Pet Detective 2, where they say guano like 50 times. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there is there are movies where I am sad they had sequels, because I think that we could have a lot of fun doing them. Ace Ventura is not one of those. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very happy we're never going to have to do the Ace Ventura movies. Yeah. I mean, we've done one Jim Carrey movie already. Which one? Oh, Truman Show. Mm-hmm. That he was in, like, two scenes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the end of the reason I have. Madison, I don't know if we should wake the slumbering eternal one that is King Dwarf 69. I think we should try. I think we should shake that bear. Uh, so for new listeners, King Dwarf 69 is the um, Rotten Tomatoes persona Madison and I have created to come up with reviews whenever the reviews that we find for this movie um, are a little lackluster. They don't bring that butt tingling sensation that Dang certain it. kinds of constipation can. No. <laughs> That is quiver. Hate <laughs> <laughs> you. We come up with the title and the body of the review. The title is done one word at a time, and the body of the review is done one sentence at a time. We alternate. Uh, Brittany, seeing as this is your pitch, would you like to start us off on the title? Constipation. Fields. Like. Bulbous. Corn. And. Pontificating. Celery. Quivering. Earth shattering. Quivering. <laughs> Period. <laughs> All right, so that's the title of the review. So what was it again? I think it was. I don't even remember. I got my soul is drained away. I don't remember. Brittany, if you'd like to start the body of the review, you can. It's just 
sentence. We're going sentences at a time now. Have you no mercy? Question mark. This film made me feel things that I never knew were possible. Specifically, John Leguizamo. John Leguizamo could definitely get it. <laughs> John Leguizamo has got it. John Leguizamo is it. John Leguizamo, if you're reading this, please call me back. It was that one night in Arizona. It was the best night of my life. Please, please, please. It's me, Bethany, (laughs) 555-0316. I'll even watch all the Ice Age movies with you again. (laughs) Period. (laughs) How many stars is the review for? Six. Six? Six. Uh, You can only go up to five. No, it's six. It's definitely six. That's fine. We'll say six stars at the bottom. How many do we actually pick out of five? Because you have to pick out of five at the top. Five. There you go. That's Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's the official King Door 69 review of this movie. God. (laughs) Poor Bethany. Poor Bethany. (laughs) She's got it bad for the leg man. The leg man. (laughs) For the Zamo. (laughs) She got got (laughs) Guizamo'd. She got Guizamo'd. God. Okay. Fans, we're a little slap happy. We spent two hours trying to get the recording to work. It was a little bit of a trying time, but let's move on. So we're on. all a little slap happy. Brittany, would you like to give us a brief summary of Moulin Rouge, and then we can launch into your pitch? Sure. Moulin Rouge starts out, for some reason, there are like two people narrating. One of them is Toulouse, and then the other is Christian, and I personally can never tell who is talking when. But we start off with Christian, who is... A baby-faced white boy, and he comes to Paris, France <laughs> in the year 1900. Um, and he wants to be a famous writer, but he's worried because his father always scolded him and seemed to be very pious. And his dad always told him, like, you'll waste your life with a can-can dancer. But he wants to be a famous writer, so he goes there and he gets this cheap apartment. And then he runs into, oh, I guess they crash through the ceiling, but a group of bohemians. And they're trying to write this play and they rope him into it. And it turns out he's a really great writer and singer. Who knew? And then they say that we want to get this play going, so we need your help convincing this guy Zidler to take it on and show it at the Moulin Rouge. So they sneak into the Moulin Rouge with disguises um, and to convince Siddler to take their play, they need Satine, who is the lead singer at, at the Moulin Rouge. And to, to convince her, they need Christian to show her how great he is at writing and how wonderful the play is going to be. So at the same time, Siddler is trying to get her to meet with the Duke, who is going to basically back the play and in the middle of this big musical sequence I guess I don't need to show it scene for scene basically there is a misunderstanding she thinks that Christian is the Duke and ends up falling in love with him while he's trying to pitch this this play and then when she realizes he's not the Duke but she's already in love with him it gets complicated and the building tension of the movie is basically she has to convince the duke that she loves him and they're to get this play done but she's actually in love with christian so their relationship is going on in the background um but also she has tuberculosis and (laughs) (laughs) i almost forgot that and and made myself very sad 
But they, the, eventually this all comes to a head when she has to pretend not to be in love with Christian so that the Duke won't kill him. And she keeps coughing up blood and passing out, and nobody ever seems to see except for Marie. Um, and also, there's a character named Nini who I'm very fascinated with, and I will get into that in my pitch. But eventually, they put on this wonderful play, and and Christian busts in, honestly acts like kind of a turd. Oh yeah. And but they're like, but we love each other after all, and then she dies. And then he... Christian was a total Paul. <laughs> total Paul. But yeah, he was... That, that scene at the end, he's like, oh, I'm going to go away, but then I'm going to come back to be like, here's your money for all the time that we spent together since I was useless. This woman is yours now. I paid my whore. Total fucking dick. Here's your sex. Yeah, money. basically. And he didn't even consider that he could have given her a paper cut. Yeah. He just That's a good he just point. threw the money at her. It's a fucking dick. <laughs> uh you know, Brittany, as you were giving that summary, like watching the movie, you don't really think about it, but when somebody lays out the plot of this movie for you, it does all of a sudden it's like, Oh yeah, this is kind of fucking buck wild. Well, it's like <laughs> the tuberculosis thing is very it's like a major part, but like it almost doesn't it almost like falls to the wayside sometimes like at the beginning of the movie they tell you that she dies yeah. mm-hmm. like and i think that they, it's like baz lerman put this in at the exact moment he was pretty sure people were going to start to forget and hope that they were going to live happily ever after it's like oh no remember she's dying because yeah. sometimes there were scenes where she had like some sweat droplets on her forehead and i was like i don't know maybe it's hot in there yeah and then i remember like oh it's the tubers oh i didn't even know you, you have a much keener eye it's got a big tv <laughs> those those sweat drops are like as big as a human's head on britney's tv britney lives in a separate abandoned theater from jesse fleming yeah. this one only shows moulin rouge home sweet abandoned theater can we can we talk about the abandoned theater epidemic that's just like i mean you and i live in chicago and we're used to it with the abandoned theater district mm-hmm. but a lot of towns you know it's a new phenomenon that's, that's where most of the power rangers fights happen too is in that theater district. <laughs> the famous Chicago Power Rangers. Yeah. What's the theme of the Chicago Power Rangers? I always forget. Um, constipation. I'm sorry. You it's constipation. Constipation. Yeah. The constipation force. The, the constipation rangers. Well, that's canon now. Thanks, Brittany. <laughs> if this is all I end up contributing, I will be happy. I mean, unless medicine comes up with something funnier, that's going to be the thing. A lot of pressure on me. Uh that it's so cold. Why did you bring me here on a field trip, Mr. Babbitt Rangers? <laughs> the our aquarium smells like soggy butt rangers. <laughs> the hello little pigeon, please love me back, Rangers. Alright, I guess it's constipation force. I guess it's force. constipation force. <laughs> Alright, so Brittany, save us from this and bring us into the light, I hope, with your pitch. I guess I will say the one addition to the summary is it's being a musical, all of the music are covers of like popular pop songs. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's just a thing that didn't come up in the in the summer. Oh, so yeah. Was... There's a name for, like, a, a musical where they use medleys of, like, popular songs. I just, oh, really? Yeah, I just can't remember what it is. I just I, I brought it up so because I know that you mentioned to me that you had a few ideas for songs for yours. And when it was, when you started talking about them and it was covers of, like, pop songs, I didn't want the uninitiated to think that you were, like, copping out of 
coming up with music for it or whatever. <laughs> I'm just looking out for you, Brittany. You're a guest in my podcast home. I'm just trying to protect you. Oh, thank you. I'm just going to let you be whatever you want to be. <laughs> We're your podcast parents. Podcast parents. We're proud of you no matter what. Yeah, we are splitting up. It's not your fault. Yeah. Oh. We still love yeah. you. This is the last episode of The Equalizers, yeah. by yeah, the way. Yeah, this is it. Credits roll after this one. I get custody of Idris Elba. I get to keep all the computers. <laughs> yeah, I have to give Madison my computer. Yeah. Don't uh, Just don't go through the browser history. It's mostly pictures of Idris Elba. Okay. And Googling, how do I get custody of Idris Elba? I'm going to use that against you in the in the court case. It's like, he really... <laughs> Brittany, let's get to your pitch. <laughs> Please, save us. Save us. No. We're madmen. Help us. Save us. Okay. So, just jump in. Well, first, do you, do you have a title for it? Like, the Moulin Rouge 2 colon something? Or is it just Moulin Rouge 2? Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge. We open Paris, 1900. Um, and of course, with the original, we open on red curtains, an orchestra tuning up, and then the curtains open to the scene, which is where we see the Duke, who is walking off as he was at the end of the first movie, walking off into the snowy night, shuffling along, kind of blank-faced, um, and he shuffles through Paris, through the alleys, past the bohemian figures that we recognize from the first film too. And then all around him, the snow is twinkling like diamonds in the moonlight, and then eventually he comes to a building and goes inside. On the door of the building says, Land Records Office. And when he gets inside, he hands the deed to the Moulin Rouge to a clerk, and he says he wants the Moulin Rouge shut down. And the clerk, of course, is like, why? Everybody loves it there, and starts regaling him with stories of the best nights of his life that he spent at the Moulin Rouge, um, and talking about this big show that just came out, and it's bringing in a lot of revenue, and just everybody loves it there. And you can see the Duke getting like angrier and angrier, and right before it looks like he's about to explode on this guy, you see, or you hear outside some commotion, and the, the clerk goes to look, and the Duke looks over, and outside you you hear like a gossip or a paperboy. I don't know what's going on in France at this time, who like gives everybody the dish. But basically the person outside is saying like, she's dead, the courtesan is dead. Um, and then the clerk calls him over and he's like, what happened? And they explain like, she died backstage, the sparkling diamond. It just happened like as soon as the curtains drop. And, and then we see like it pans over to the Duke's face and he's just like expressionless, but there's something happening there and the clerk is like gossiping and then he comes back to the desk and the duke just says like he just pushes the deed across the desk again he's like i want it shut down and then we cut to toulouse who is drunk um and carrying a bottle of absinthe and this is we can see like later on in the night all of the commotion has died down people are have cleaned up from from the play so he's sneaking in to the Moulin Rouge and he goes into this room where we see Satine who's like still in her uniform and laid out. They haven't gotten the doctor there yet and Toulouse is, he wants to say his goodbyes. So he's, mm. he, he goes in to say goodbye to Satine but before he can get into the room he sees the Ziddler's in there already saying his goodbye and Ziddler has this little scene where he sings... He's singing Little Miss Magic by Jimmy Buffett. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. And he's he's a before he he walks out. Um, he he says like my mango. <laughs> this is the best pitch we've already we've ever had already. <laughs> you hear that, Daniel? <laughs> and then Zedler leaves the room, and he's like, "I'm gonna go have a boat drink." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course, there's that line <clears throat> in time she's gonna learn to fly. She's like, Aww. her whole thing was like, I'm going to fly away. So, like, he lean, he's about to leave the room, and he says, like, my mango, because, of course, he was always calling her different kinds of fruits. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, like, looks at the, the big diamond jewelry that's still around here. She had, like, the headdress and the necklace and the earrings and, like, everything else. And he looks conflicted because he loves her. And she's like the sparkling diamond, but also he knows that now the Moulin Rouge is in danger because he signed the deed over to the Duke. And of course he's going to shut it down and they're going to need all the money they can get. So like he wants to take the jewelry, but he's conflicted. And then he takes most of the jewelry off of her, but he just can't take all of it. So he leaves a single diamond on her chest. But in the moment when he takes the diamonds off of her, we see maybe what looks like her eyelid twitching. But then he puts the diamond back, and it's like he didn't notice. It may have not have even happened. It may have been like a trick of the light. He finally leaves, um, and then Toulouse comes back in, and he's he's just like you can tell he's a mess. He's grief stricken. Um, I think there was always the implication that he was in love with her. Yeah, um, for and sure. Just based off of like the actual historical character Toulouse Lautrec who was, like, very much in love with, like, every subject he ever painted. He pours two glasses of absinthe and puts one next to her, and he's, like, Mm. saying his goodbyes and telling her, like, all these wonderful things about her and talking about Christian and true love and, like, the bohemian mantra. Um, And then he goes to, like, kiss her goodbye on the forehead, but at that moment, Zidler comes back in with the doctor, what are you doing in here? And shouts out at him and starts to chase him around. I have a question. Is he still dressed up as the sitar? I mean, he still has the face makeup on, but okay. it's all smeared from like tears and stuff. I have a question. Is Satine going to be a zombie? You legally have to tell me. <laughs> legally? Yeah, it's the law. If I ask if a character is going to come back as a zombie, you legally have to tell me. As your podcast lawyer, Brittany, I'm saying that you don't have to answer that question. Thank you. I'm going to take the advice of my counsel and ask you to... <laughs> we have really fleshed out the <laughs> podcast law and decorum of the in the universe. <laughs> All right, continue, Brittany. You, I guess legally you don't have to tell me. Okay. But anything you do say from now on can be used against you in a court of podcast law. You can try, but... <laughs> so... Um, Zidler is like shouting at him and like lunges at him. There's a chase around the room. Um, and the absinthe that he sat out for Satine like splashes onto her. And of course, Zidler is like furious with this. But <laughs> we, the audience, see that as the, as the absinthe splashes onto her, there's like kind of a mystical green sparkle. Holy um, shit. But they, yes. nobody, <laughs> nobody else notices um, it, well, they, I mean, Zidler notices that it's spilled on her, and he's, of course, enraged. He's like, look what you've done. And he, like, chases Toulouse out, and then the, the diamond has been knocked off also in the pursuit. And we see again, like, maybe a twitch of fingers, but Zidler is like, uh, now that Toulouse is gone, he leans over and puts the diamond back and 
she's just still again. Um, there's no like twitching, there's no green magic stuff happening. It's just, it's just Satine's body and Zidler looking down at her. So then we cut to a scene where it's maybe like a little bit later that night and it's Christian and he's just absolutely shell-shocked and all of the like zany bohemian friends are around him trying to cheer him up and I think the song for this one would maybe be Life After Love by Cher yeah. mixed in a little bit where Christian ends up singing a song because they're they're trying to cheer him up mm -hmm. they try to like at first put him to bed and then the narcoleptic Argentinian passes out in his bed and they're like oh okay we can just stay up and drink but he doesn't want to drink they have absinthe and they end up drinking it all and getting too drunk and they play him some music and they're singing you know life after love by Cher and then he starts singing last kiss by Pearl Jam yeah um Fuck yeah and Toulouse is there and he's trying to be a more stable friend he's like brings in his typewriter and his paper um, he's like, We're, we'll clear out if you need to be alone. Um, but he leaves in there with the typewriter and he's like, you know, tell the story. Um, but then when he's alone, he, he, you know, is like looking at the typewriter. He looks over at the bottle of absinthe, but he doesn't do either. He just goes to his window and he like looks out at the moon. He remembers the song they sang together. They were dancing and the face in the moon was like looking down at them and singing on them. He looks for the face, but he doesn't see it. And then we switch to another scene, and this one is intercut. So there, we originally start with Nini, who's rehearsing um, for another act. Uh, and this is intercut with a speech that Marie has given. It's like letting all of the, all of the employees know, like, the Moulin Rouge could very well be shut down because the Duke um, didn't get what he wanted, so we are all in danger but you know there are still plenty of people who support us and all we can do is keep working and especially with Satine's funeral coming up that will be something that really ties the community together reminds them of how much they loved her and loved us and all of these like the speech is kind of chopped up between scenes where Nini is rehearsing and I, I don't remember why I picked this but it's Radiohead's Creep. Remind me which character is Mimi? Oh it's Nini. Um, she was the one with the like jet black hair the one who basically ratted them out to the duke yeah okay, okay. i'm gonna do a quick sidebar because we were watching it real fast i'm sorry real fast i, I want to hear the sidebar just so i'm clear because i'm still like mimi was that who which one's marie was she the older woman behind the scenes that like helped satine when she was like fainting and yeah. stuff yeah okay perfect that's marie and then mimi. all right continue with your sidebar i wanted to quickly clear up for me which who these characters were before we tangented away so uh, you have the floor for your sidebar. I just wanted to make sure okay. I got that cleared. Yeah. So my sidebar is just, we were we were watching it the other night, mm -hmm. and I've watched it so many times, and this is the first time. I mean, it's been a few years, so I guess this is the first time I was watching it with, like, a critical framework where mm -hmm. I was like, you know, she, like, is criticized. She's supposed to be this, like, vindictive mean girl who like implies things to the duke that kind of lead him to realize what's going on and she like taunts christian and she's um basically supposed to be like a turd character who nobody likes but she's also like 
another woman working at this like dancery also bordello and dancing and doing it looks like just as much work as sateen and mm -hmm. all of the other women are doing and mm -hmm. from her point of view sateen is always treated as like the star the favorite the sparkling diamond yeah, yeah she's the sparkling diamond and she gets all of this treatment that the rest of them don't seem to get she gets all of Zidler's attention. We never really see any scenes where he's like being affectionate with any of the other dancers, any of the other people. Mm -hmm. um, That's a good point. And then the Duke comes along and gives her this situation where she's no longer, you know, he has that, I don't want her to be with anybody else. Mm -hmm. So she's no longer doing the work that the other women there have to do. So in mm -hmm. Nini's eyes, it's like she is not only still the top girl getting all of this special attention. She also is not doing any of the work that they have to do. And she is putting all of their livelihoods at stake, like jeopardizing everything that keeps them off the streets by having this side relationship. So of course, Nini is worried about herself, but also every other person who depends on the Moulin Rouge not to be living in poverty. Sure, and it absolutely. And from her point of view, it's like Satine's throwing all of this away just to have what would appear to her as just like some fling no that's a, i that's a good point i to be honest i've probably this was probably like the third time i've seen this movie so i hadn't really like started to analyze it like that but that's a, that's a very good point that i i guess i misratted him out to the duke she uh tipped the duke off to the as he would say shenanigans yeah oh i'll add to that is that all of the first movie is told from christian's perspective of what mm -hmm. happened so Brittany's explanation is probably the reality of what was going on. Oh, but yeah. But the, interp the interpretation from Christian's point of view was probably pretty shitty. Yeah. This movie is definitely tinged as like a great love story and not like two people fooling around and possibly ruining the lives of everyone else in the theater. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, Moulin Rouge fans, don't at us for yeah. being real, for keeping <laughs> it real. For being analytical. Baz Luhrmann, do at me because I'm ready to fight you about how you took the get down away from me. Oh, shit. Honestly, I'd pay to, I, I'd pay to watch that Britney fight Baz Luhrmann. Yeah. I did like five push-ups today. I'm ready. So, like I said, this is intercut with Marie's speech. Um, so Nini is rehearsing. It's Radiohead's creep. Just because of the line, like, I want you to notice when I'm not around that she's rehearsing in front of Zidler who is distracted, he's clearly grieving, and he's holding like the diamond earrings in his hand and looking down at them and not really paying attention. But Nini's really like putting her all into this, this rehearsal. She wants his approval. Um, you know, she's like really going at it. It's basically like a full performance. If she were performing right now, she would get a standing ovation, but he just eventually like sighs and gets up. He's not into it and she's upset by this so she storms through the Moulin Rouge and goes back to that room where they're keeping Satine's body um she's like goes off at her and she's Miss Precious Zidler's angel you know you had the Duke willing to give you everything you're too good to work like the rest of us you couldn't be smart and not fall in love you ruined everything for everyone and she sees the diamond that Zidler left on her chest um she's furious she snatches it away and she's like, 
and you always got real diamonds and the rest of us get fake jewelry and you get like to be the star of every show and we're always side characters and she like looks at the diamond like you can see on her face that she's like this one's for me she goes to leave but as she leaves she hears a cough from behind her Shit. and she goes back to the body and she sees that Satine's breathing and she like leans down close to see like is she breathing is this I'm not really seeing this and at that moment Marie comes in and sees and she's like what are you doing in here and as she stands up she drops the diamond and Marie is like like looks at her like I can't believe you would do this like stealing off of our dead like our dead sister basically um, and she like puts the diamond back and she's like, I really can't believe you, Nini. And Nini tries to tell her like, I just saw her breathing. Like, I, I think she's still alive, but they look at her and she's not breathing anymore. Like she still seems, she's like cold to the touch and <laughs> is like, <laughs> there's no movement. So oh Marie is basically, like basically implies Nini are acting out of jealousy and this is really sad and low what you're doing. And Nini just like gives her those like narrow eyes that she was always giving people in the first movie. Mm-hmm. She storms out. But then Marie like turns around and she looks down at Satine like she's actually thinking about it. Like it seems like she wrote it off, but she's actually thinking about it. And then from from there we go to this scene where it's like it's daytime and the Duke has gathered some people outside the Moulin Rouge and they're, they're like chanting that it needs to be shut down, that like legally they have the right to shut it down. And there's a group of like bohemians there fighting to keep it open. Um, I think probably for this scene, it's like Pat Benatar's Love is a Battlefield. Yeah. Something like that. Um, <laughs> the second time Love is a Battlefield has came up in equalizer's history <laughs> i think the this part of the fight like lasts into the night and we pan from basically like a war happening in front of the moulin rouge we pan up to the moon and we see that face that was there during the musical sequence is like looking down on all of this and the face like turns and we see that it's like looking into the room where satine's body is and shines down we follow the moonlight and we see that green sparkle that mist coming off her again oh my god (laughs) absent Um, zombie absent zombie absent zombie also a tm band (laughs) name of the equalizers absent zombie absent zombie (laughs) um and then i think we get like not the song but at least some like musical themes from the queen song spread your wings absinthe angel absinthe angel absinthe angel also tm (laughs) absinthe angel so then we go back to Christian, who's sitting at his typewriter. He's trying to start writing, and he is not getting into it. He's not feeling it. Um, he like looks over at the bottle of absinthe that he has that his friends left for him, and just for a second, he swears he sees the green fairy inside. But it looks like Satine too. Oh my and we god. Get the- we hear that scene that same theme from like fly away for a second but he like blinks and she's gone and then he starts to reach for the bottle did he really see this can he bring it back but Toulouse comes in to check on him and you know brings the the zany friend group back and they're trying to cheer him up again and I think this time 
I realize as I'm like looking over my notes that I chose a lot of Queen songs because I really <laughs> love fine. Queen. But this time it was Queen's Friends Will Be Friends. And like while they're trying to cheer him up, he's like glancing over at the bottle. So are they actually, are they kind of succeeding in cheering him up? I think he's trying to like play along so as not to hurt their feelings and like i mean it's like less than 24 hours since his 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 love could it be a very like facetious cover of i get by with a little help from my friends by the beatles like he's doing it performatively like yeah you're you're helping yeah it could be like a medley of if if you're looking to cut some queen out of the soundtrack if not that's perfect like whatever you i am never looking to cut queen out of anything the way you said that you didn't realize how much queen was in this i just meant if you're looking for not queen could that be an angle to take but this is your pitch so you're in charge ma'am as my podcast lawyer what can i do to penalize mike for even suggesting that to me i i'm sorry mom <laughs> i'm sorry ma'am i said mom because that's how british people <laughs> say it and i watch a lot of british tv but i realized i just called Brittany my mom so <laughs> This is a good episode. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> this is a weird one. I it's not Beetlejuice too, but just go continue with the pitch. I'm afraid if I start talking more mass, I'll start talking about anus quivering. <laughs> so we cut to a scene where Nini is back in the Moulin Rouge, or she's she's in the Moulin Rouge. She's going back to that room. She knows she saw something, like she she didn't imagine it. She knows that much, even though she was upset. And Marie came in and there was nothing happening when she tried to tell her. She knows something happened. And I think, I don't know why I wrote down, hey Jude, but there must have been a reason. So she like picks the diamond up off of Satine again. And there, like there it is again. There's like shallow breathing. Like if you weren't looking for it, you would miss it, but it's there. It's a heavy, just a heavy diamond. It's like crushing her windpipe. (laughs) I think she like looks at the diamond in her hand and there's like a series of flashbacks where like the first time we see Satine, she's doing her diamonds are a girl's best friend routine. And we see them like slipping the diamond necklace on her, um, putting that like big diamond heart belt on her. And that was the first time we see her like lose her lose her breath and fall from the sky Hmm. and then we see her like later when she's in her um, she has like diamonds earrings on when she's meeting with in the elephant i don't mean to i don't mean to give up like the the reveal but is, is she is she allergic to diamonds and that's what's actually happening she super duper is yeah oh my god i mean so and if you think about it I, as we were watching the movie, like, I said that jokingly before we rewatched it, because, like, she's the sparkling diamond, they're the diamond dogs, her first musical number is, like, diamonds are a girl's best friend, and then, like, every scene where she goes into a coughing fit or faints or whatever, she has diamonds on. This is and, brilliant. Like, this is so scenes brilliant. Scenes where she looks healthy and happy, like, she's sitting in Christian's bed, or they're rehearsing together, or they're, like on that picnic trip with the Duke where he stomps on a frog and nobody talks about it. Like, she's not wearing diamonds. And then the scene where they're doing the Tango de Roxanne and she's, like, having that horrible dinner with the Duke where he attacks her, he puts that necklace on her that's, like, a billion diamonds and then tears it off. And I was like, oh, my gosh. She was cut with a diamond. Like, it got into her bloodstream and she only... 
she only like got worse from there this and then so during good. the big musical number she had so many diamonds on this is so good Brittany. Brittany, <laughs> Brittany, you should start a fan theory podcast of oh, that's so that's amazing you're totally correct at every like in every single one of those scenes just diamonds are in them it's like the reveal of the illusionist where it's like oh this is what you thought they were talking about but really this is what they were talking about it's like i don't know like the the culmination of a heist movie where you realize this was the plan the whole time uh it's like tuberculosis no she just stole just shiny rocks <laughs> Brittany, please continue with please your continue. With the pitch now that we've deduced not madison has deduced the twist but <laughs> um oh i forgot to add like one little detail earlier and mm-hmm. the and the scene where it's like the bohemians fighting against the duke and his his group i think the bohemians are shouting like something about the spirit of the revolution or like the bohemian spirit mm-hmm. um that's important i should have put that in there um so Mimi is so she she looks at this diamond and all of this flashes through her mind and so like we know Nini knows kind of what has happened and then we cut to another part of the inside of the Moulin Rouge and we see that Toulouse is there and he is like painting these posters because I don't think in the movie we ever really see Toulouse painting no never I didn't even know Toulouse Lautrec was a painter yeah he was like his paintings are actually really beautiful. I believe it, and like I, in looking up reviews for this, I saw a lot of people talking about like the real historical uh, Toulouse Lautrec, and I didn't like look up who that person was. Mm-hmm. But this is a very sidebar. But the person who does my tattoos, my hand poke tattoos, looks like John Leguizamo. Yeah, she looks oh, okay. just like John Leguizamo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is. It is actually John Leguizamo. <laughs> We forgot to mention his second appearance in the yeah. show and a guest episode again, because the first time was Daniel's Super Mario Oh, Brothers. yeah. Uh, she does really awesome uh, hand poke, uh, and she does machine tattoos of Trilouche Lautrec paintings on oh, people's cool. bodies. It's so oh good. I, I should check it out sometime. Uh, if they have a website, we can put a link to it. Yeah. If they absolutely. have so, like a portfolio online or something. For sure. All right, Brittany. Definitely. Let's let's bring it home, or at least continue <laughs> on our way home. So Toulouse is, you know, painting these posters, um, mm-hmm. organizing for this protest against the Duke, against the Moulin Rouge being shut down. And I think he he hears Nini singing "Hey Jude," so he he like hears this song and he goes to see who's singing at this hour, and then he, you know, sees he from the same vantage point where he's watching Zidler um, say goodbye to Satine, he sees Nini standing over Satine, but he also sees the breathing. So he like rushes into the room and he's like, we have to tell everyone, we have to tell Christian. And Nini is like, we can't. She's the inspiration behind the fight for the Moulin Rouge. You know, if it comes out that she's still alive, we lose the fight. The Duke gets to go back to this like power struggle, trying to take over everything, trying to basically enslave Satine again. And I think like it's very convincing while she's saying this, but we, the audience, can also see like part of it is just that she doesn't want Satine back, mm-hmm. and she's like, 
you know, also Christian got his perfect love, the love that he came to Paris looking for. You know, he wanted to be a writer. He wanted to tell this story, but he didn't know what it was like to be in love. And he got to experience that. Like He got to experience the perfect amount of love that ended right at the moment where it's like idealizable. I don't know if that's a word. Um, but basically saying like he gets to write the story he always wanted to write, the story that she wanted him to write, that as she was dying, or so we thought, she told him, tell our story. Um, and then she says, like, he doesn't look completely convinced, and she says, like, everyone at the Moulin Rouge is depending on this place staying open, and if if she comes back, if it all gets messed up, we're all out on the street. And I, I think he looks really conflicted. And then I think we pan over Satine, and the implication is supposed to be, like, if she's alive, if she's just, like, in an allergy coma, does she hear all of this? We cut back to Christian, who's trying to write again, um, and he has the bottle of absinthe this time, and he's, he's drinking, and Satine appears as the green fairy, and she's, like, they actually see each other this time, and is like, are you real? She's like, yes, I'm here. And I think this time the song is Elton John's Tiny Dancer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. She's a tiny dancer. Hold me so, closer, yeah. absent fairy. <laughs> Man, you're really fleshed out the soundtrack this week. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a musical episode, you know? No, no, I'm not it. judging. I just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm impressed. It's sat kind of stagnant for a, for a number of weeks now. So he's like, he wants to know, is she real? Like, what is she trying to tell him? And I think we see the conflict in her face, her tiny green face, um, because she, she like thinks back on what Nini was saying um, about like how things are better if she's gone and like Christian has his perfect love story. Fuck, and man. And she just like... <laughs> I think she lands on the typewriter and she just says, like, tell her story, Christian. And so he sits there and he, like, has his hands on the keys, but he's, like, gazing at her. And then Toulouse comes in again and you can tell he's, like, there with every intention of telling Christian the truth. Um, And as Toulouse comes in, Christian looks away and Green Fairy Satine disappears. And Toulouse runs over and he's like, Christian, I have to tell you. Um, but he sees like Christians at the typewriter and before he can start talking, Christian is inspired and he's like, I, I think I'm really ready to start writing. Like, I'm going to tell this story just like she wanted me to tell it. I'm going to like make her proud. I know this is what she would want. And so we see like Toulouse is not going to tell him because basically he just confirmed everything Nini was saying would happen. So he stays quiet and Christian's like, what did you want to tell me? And he's like, I just wanted to tell you, like, people are still fighting for the Moulin Rouge. They're fighting in her name. And, like, they're fighting for her and the spirit of the revolution and blah, blah, blah. Um, And he, like, leaves. And we see Christian, like, walk over to the typewriter. Um, And I I feel like I'm getting, like, really in detail with a bunch of little scenes. So I'm going to do a little more summary of, like, the building tensions in the movie are, like, so the Duke is gaining more support. He has like law enforcement and some other rich dudes um, and just people in Paris who generally find the Moulin Rouge like tasteless and they want it gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see him 
and his group of people like gaining more traction, getting louder, like getting bigger as a physical group. And we see like maybe people who are fighting the revolution looking a little anxious about that as the movie goes on. Um, and then we see more scenes where Satine is visiting Christian, um, but because he only sees her when she when he's drinking absinthe, then she's the green fairy. He's like always drunk when she gets there, um, or like dreaming in a drunk stupor. And I think we see for her that she's realizing like it's not good for him. Like she wants to be around him, even if she can't tell him the truth, that she's like still awake and basically like astral projecting to him she she can't say anything um because like she knows like what nini said and and but she's also realizing that she can't keep visiting him because it's she's gonna like kill him basically and he still hasn't written anything because he spends his whole time like in a drunken stupor just waiting for her to come back so just to be clear real quick i'm sorry this is actually like satine astral projecting into Christian's absinthe-riddled brain, correct? It's not like he's just hallucinating Satine. This is her somehow, her consciousness somehow reaching out to him while he's just high off his ass on absinthe. I don't think I want to be too overt about it, but like when I was watching the original movie and there was all the talk of like the spirit of the revolution and sure. like okay. the bohemian freedom, beauty, I think it's. I think it's more compelling if it's not like fully explained but like yeah so yeah we see like the typewriter is gathering dust and the bottles of absinthe they're like piling up um and then we we also see that the body is being taken to be prepared and i've got to fudge it a little bit in terms of like how long it has taken them to prepare this body and like how long it actually takes things to start stinking it's 1900s yeah yeah, the 1900s France. Corpses lasted longer than the 1900s. <laughs> yeah, these days they make corpses with planned obsolescence where after like two or three days you have to get a new corpse. Yeah. Um, Brittany, mm-hmm. I think that you could also have like a quick scene where Zidler is like, make sure you take care of this one, like the best work. Yeah. And that gives an excuse why it's taken longer to prepare as well. I think also they're trying to like, they, they have this funeral coming up which is supposed to be like a way of like reminding everybody the funeral's playing specifically on a certain day for Mm -hmm. a very specific impact Mm -hmm. okay so we have the body finally about to be prepared it's like put in a carriage to go to the hospital or whatever and then marie and chocolat like but as like zidler and everybody else thinks like she's on her way but they stop the carriage before it can leave. And I mean, we just have this scene where we see them like stopping the carriage. I don't think we need to go into detail. We know that like Marie knows and Chocolat is always there to support her and Satine and anybody who works at the Moulin Rouge. And then later we see them going to Nini and basically trying to like rope her in to help, but Nini is reluctant to help. Um, and then I think there's like a scene later where Nini is like after she's refused to help she sees the green fairy and maybe the scene here is like let me live by queen um (laughs) because I think Nini is the only one who's made the connection with the diamonds to Satine and she left the diamond on Satine's chest knowing Mm -hmm. that that would keep her there um and Marie and Chocolat only know like 
it's very likely that she is still alive and if that's the case then we want to help because like she hasn't started the word is not disintegrating what is the word i'm thinking uh, of? decomposing decomposing um or just i mean we don't know how diamond allergies work it's not been yeah i mean it's been around for since 1899 and we still don't fully understand diamond <laughs> allergies <laughs> So yeah, Nini is like the only one who knows what's actually going to bring her back. And she's probably like in bed or just drinking later. Yeah, she's she's like drinking by herself. She has some absinthe and then she sees the green fairy. Man, the absinthe that um, flows. Yeah, it's all it's like this movie was sponsored by absinthe. Yeah. <laughs> Madison, what's your favorite brand of absinthe? Let's just go around the table. Madison, then Brittany, and then I'll go. Um, war- <laughs> it's it's called Worm Good. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Brandy, what's your favorite brand of absinthe? Personally, I like to drink the stuff I make at home in the toilet. Fair, fair enough. My favorite is Canada Dry. <laughs> <laughs> in fiction, Mike doesn't know what absinthe is. <laughs> yeah, I must say, it was so weird to me that they were talking about how, like, absinthe and how it gave them. Like, I buy it in two liters at Target. I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I thought Madison, Brittany were going to say, like, Verner's or... Uh, yeah, it's like Schweppes. Schweppes, Verner's. Like, come on, guys. It's like, great value, even. I don't, like, come on. Yeah. Um, Brittany, go ahead. So, I think she sees the Green Fairy and she maybe, like, waves her away and she like goes back to her room but and she's in her room she like looks over at her costume jewelry and she sees her like necklace of fake diamonds um and then the climax of the movie is like they they finally get to the day of the big funeral or the showdown where everything's coming to a head and the duke really has his heart set on like shutting this down during the funeral or not letting the funeral happen um, because it represents like everybody realizing that he's wrong and also like everybody getting to take part in Satine in a way that he feels like should be only for him. So he has all of these rich people outside and I think the um, <laughs> there's a medley here. The people who are there for her funeral are singing that Rihanna song that's like shine bright like a diamond. Shine bright like a diamond. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm unfamiliar, then, but I take your word for it. Also, Madison's rendition's great. Shine Can you give bright me like, like a diamond? A few more seconds for the soundtrack. Oh, I don't remember all of the <clears throat> shine bright like a diamond song. I am a diamond. Cuckoo, cuckoo. Yep, <laughs> there it is. All right. Uh, <laughs> there you, that's. <laughs> The, the people there for the funeral are seeing that, and then Green Fairy Satine is, like, kind of flitting around, watching all of this take place, knowing that, like, something's coming to a head. If something doesn't happen now, then she's not going to be able to wake up. They're going to lose the Moulin Rouge, etc. And her song is um, Wake Me Up Inside. <laughs> um, and then... I think during all of this commotion where like the people who are there for the funeral and the people who are protesting and then the people who are there for the Duke um, start to clash and in and, and all of this commotion the Duke somehow finds his way into the Moulin Rouge and he's like going to find the room where Satine's body is and she's of course like 
in the most beautiful outfit, just covered in diamonds. And he like goes up to her and I don't know, says something creepy in his shenanigans. <laughs> yes, probably that. Like that is what you say to the corpse of someone who spurned you. Shenanigans. God. <laughs> We see, like, he's leaning close to the body. Like, maybe he's going to kiss her because he's a gross old creep. Who, oh, very quick sidebar. The first, like, four times I watched this movie, honest to goodness, thought that was Gary Oldman. But it isn't. No, he he actually plays Dracula in the Van Helsing movie with, um, oh, Hugh Jackman. Anytime I see the Duke, uh, the past time I, I looked at it, I'm like, Oh, he totally has David Spade's haircut. <laughs> he does kind of actually in this movie look a little bit like David Spade. David Spade, right? <laughs> I can see it now. Yeah, we couldn't get the original actor, so for my sequel, he will be played by David Spade. Oh Got God. It. So, yeah, we have like he's leaning in, and then we see her eyes open, and there's like a flash of green, and he like because he was leaning over the casket, he like had his hand on like a diamond or something and it startles him and he like flings back and like tears one of the diamonds off but um it's like the diamond necklace shouldn't be able to tear that easily it must be fake diamonds and it's Mimi's costume jewelry that she put on there knowing that if she left Satine without diamonds long enough she would eventually wake up so this fake diamond flies through the air and in the style of the first movie where things like fly into the sky and they get all big in France and like bounce off the Eiffel Tower. I think it bounces off and then comes back into the room and goes into the Duke's mouth and starts choking on it. And And so like he's like he's backing away and like holding his throat and he sees Satine like sitting up and her eyes are glowing green and he like runs oh, he like runs back through the Moulin Rouge and like he's lost and he's stumbling everywhere and he's choking and his face is turning red and he like finally finds his way out through the front doors and you hear like in the distance as he's getting closer like the people chanting like the shine bright like a diamond song and chanting about like the spirit of the revolution and like he like gets out and everybody like stops as they see him coming and he is like reaching up and choking and he just like looks terrified and then he dies and then all of the people who are there like trying to get the Moulin Rouge shut down I feel like they just have this moment of like we upset the spirit of the revolution and they like dissolve or join the side of the people there for the Moulin Rouge and then I think it's, like, another one of those scenes where, like, there's somebody who's dead and then we pan out and, like, the people who were there but far enough away that they couldn't see what was going on are still, like, chanting about the spirit of the revolution. And then we, like, cut away and do that, like, what did they do after thing. I think we see a scene where, like, Satine goes to see Christian, but he's still, like... Drunk off his ass. Outrageously drunk on Mm. absinthe and, like... The typewriter is untouched, and I think she also has a memory of him, like, throwing the money at her and, like, of her saying to herself that she wanted to be, like, a real actress. 
And I think she like walks away and decides she wants to go be a real actress and like let him write his book. And because if she goes back into his life, like who knows he's been, as far as he knows, like hallucinating her for however long. And if she shows up again, like it's going to mess up mess with him and also like she has stuff she wants to do like she loves him but she's got her own dreams and I think she goes and Nina goes with her they're friends now and then we like finally get to the point that's like weeks or months or however much later where Christian like writes his book and I think there's maybe like a scene and it's like years down the road and Satine has started acting maybe in like America or something because I think she would run into him in France um and like he's a writer and then eventually they run into each other and maybe now they're ready to love each other the right way because they were pretty young the first time but Mm -hmm. that's my movie wow wow I have a question and that's and again (laughs) this is your this is your pitch so take or leave um what if when Satine comes back to like go talk to Christian. He's it's he's starting to write their story. Instead of he's drunk off his ass still, it's like she's gonna come back to him, but when she sees him it's like, oh no, he's actually writing now and if I come back he's not going to he's gonna stop. Hmm. Yeah. And that's I like that. take or leave it, as you will. I just that's uh throwing out a suggestion. Yeah, I think the only reason I didn't do that was because in the movie he says, like, it wasn't until months later That's fair. that he started actually writing the story well, I mean, out. And, we like, never established it. how long she was laying there in the Moulin Rouge before she was going to go to hospital. I mean, <laughs> diamond allergies are not well studied. We don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's very preservative <laughs> while I you're mean, allergic. My, my concern was just that, like, people would know she was alive, maybe. Oh, no, I know. Unless, like, she and Nini kept it secret. Because they were all there for her funeral. So if she sure. wasn't there, oh, yeah, it no, would I'm... be like, where'd I, her body go? I feel like there's got to be something in it where, like, they mention how her body is, like, su- surprisingly not, like, like, um, what's the word? What's the Decomposed. D word? Decomposing? The D word. <laughs> the D word? What's the D word? Um, uh, yeah, like, I think they're like, yeah, surprisingly, like, it's holding up well or something, um, because she's not dead, right? Like, she's not. Like, so. But then again, yeah. I guess after, like, like weeks she, and months, she would she'd die, go she go through she, malnutrition. Yeah, eventually. But um, no, you bring up a good point, though, Brittany. I, I retract my suggestion. <laughs> no, I, I like that suggestion a lot. Like, maybe Nini, she did keep it secret with Nini. Maybe they were like, a, a man died here today. We're not going to have this funeral. We want to keep it private. The Moulin Rouge is open, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then she and Nini and Marie and Chocolat all kept it secret that she was actually alive. So she finally, like the day she decided, like, I'm going to go let Christian know I'm alive. He was writing the story and she was like, I can't stop it. I, I like that idea where they kind of fake her death. Is that what you're kind of saying? Yeah. Like, so she can actually go be someone outside of this place. But also mm-hmm. to keep the Moulin Rouge afloat. Open. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. she agrees to fake her death to keep... Alright, so, Brittany, start from the beginning with this new twist. <laughs> We're cutting out the secret song between the sitar player and the courtesan. <laughs> start over. <laughs> okay. Also less queen. Alright. You know <laughs> <No>. what? <laughs> I don't have to put up with this. 
I'm an artist. Um, uh, objection, Your Honor. <laughs> Overruled, as purse. Wait, you're the stained. Yeah, <laughs> you're the, you're, the, you're the judge and the and yeah, the person. I told you, Madison. I've been reading a lot of podcast law. Gosh, you've been. I don't know, drinking absinthe, and I've been studying podcast law. <laughs> so, Madison, do you have any more questions, uh, comments for Brittany? I don't think so. I like the ending. I like kind of the um, them going their separate ways, and then maybe meeting up later. But yeah, I, I, I like... agree. I thought that was a very deft touch of they were too young and chasing dreams. Yeah, seriously, like it's a very like very romanticized like version, like in their their love story it could only end in one way like very dramatic you know and Mm -hmm. this sort of like i think it makes it like realistic i guess i i love the pitch on the one hand because at every point where i thought i had an idea of what the next twist was gonna be i was entirely wrong did britney do it i think britney did it i think britney did it britney do you think you did it i might have done it all right so that's credits on another episode of the equalizers madison jones tell the people where they can find us people can find us on spotify itunes google play um stitcher and everywhere else podcasts are found just uh step outside head down to your local baseball diamond your sparkling baseball diamond and throw a no hit podcast game and you'll find us go to your local liquor store find the absinthe section move over the verners move over the canada dry uh excuse you canada dry is the best version and behind those cans they will be our podcast will just be there for you (laughs) to listen god cans of absinthe gross uh you can get at us on social media, Facebook and Twitter, at The Equalizers, Gmail, equalizers at gmail.com. Uh, we have an Instagram. It is the underscore equalizers, where we try to post a teaser for the upcoming episode. And I honestly cannot fathom what this episode is going to be, but I'm sure it'll be great. Yeah. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, we are King Dwarf, one word, 69. Special thanks on our theme, Rock Thing. Go to Creo. You can find their work at www.creo-music.com. Uh, normally, we'd ask you to review and subscribe, but I think this week, just like tell a friend about us. One, one friend that you have. Just encourage them to listen to an episode that's not Beetlejuice 2. Brittany, uh, provide some sort of guilt trip for our listeners to uh, Ooh, that's review good. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or tell a friend. Give them a good guilt trip. If you don't review it, I'll come to your house and I'll hockey punch you. Fuck. <laughs> okay. Wow. Well, that was more of a threat than a guilt trip, but okay. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. And you'll um, feel really bad about it. Uh, Brittany, is there a place that the people can find you online if you wish for them to find you? I mean, you just make a wish and I'm there. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, you can find me at BrittanyMeans.com. Uh, so, Brittany... As is our tradition, with one exception, um, which was, of course, Janine Winfrey of Guess What You're Gonna Hate. We typically ask our guests to... That was, for the record, that was more... We just kind of forgot, and it was a a sort of rushed um, guest job. You have a movie in mind for us to pitch... (laughs) What? Nothing. All right. Are you laughing at guest jobs? Yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I am a child. We've been doing this guest job for like three hours. Yeah. Yeah, more. Um, This has been the longest guest job I've ever had. It's been a really Um, hard guest job. Yeah, it has been the hardest, longest guest job I've ever had. Brittany, before we go... guest job. Fine. (laughs) Two more innuendos, Madison. Veiny guest job. Oh, no, okay, that's enough. (laughs) Brittany, uh, you have a film for us next week that we're going to riff a sequel or prequel to. It is time to reveal our fate to the world. Okay. My movie for you to come up with a sequel for next week is Amadeus. Fuck. So, for the Equalizers, I'm Brittany Means. I'm Madison Jones. I hate both of you. (laughs) Strawberry! Strawberry. To be continued. (laughs) 